Welcome. You've turned into Rockstar Millennial Spotlight, featuring Katherine Spitznagel, professional coach, speaker, and author of the book, Rockstar Millennials, Developing the Next Generation of Leaders. On this show, we'll feature millennials who represent this high-energy, creative, and entrepreneurial generation, and spotlight Rockstar Millennials who are living their purpose, helping others, and making a difference right where they are. Please join me in welcoming our host, Katherine Spitznagel. Hi, this is Katherine Spitznagel, your host for Rockstar Millennial Podcast. And today we have someone I've been waiting for you to meet, Miss Jennifer Rosa. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you, Katherine. Oh, you are just, you're an incredible person and do amazing things on all fronts. You know, our only challenge today is going to be try and get done in a half an hour because you've got so much to tell us about. I'll talk fast. <laughs> tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, if you look at my business card, it'll be jenniferrosa.com, and it's Color Tour Soprano, concert event producer. Then you look at my other card, which is really my children's card for our daughters, who are nine and almost seven, for Pretendly, and that's pretendly.fun, and that's their um, neurodiverse kid art shop. And I am the co-founder and chief executive mom. I love that, chief executive <laughs> mom. Yes, with these two beautiful girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, all right, so already you get an idea of, oh boy, there's a whole lot here mm-hmm. in this beautiful <laughs> little package. Um, so when you talk about being a soprano, tell us a little bit about that whole life. Well, everything mm-hmm. kind of I have found mm-hmm. out by accident. So when I was about <laughs> the same age as what my children are now, I discovered I had this little vibrato at a young age, and I had a mature sound, but I did not look like I matched that. So early on, I knew I might not fit into certain boxes, and Mm -hmm. my mom said to feel comfortable in your own skin. And so I developed that, realizing, okay, might not sound like my peers, but I'm going to sing anyway. And I liked everything, but that just happened to be how I sounded and where the performance route went for me. And I knew Mm -hmm. at a young age I wanted to check these boxes. Even if I didn't fit in boxes, I wanted to perform, produce, and live in New York City. Yeah. And that's how that kind of led to that path. But there have mm-hmm. been a lot of seemingly serendipitous full circle moments along that yes path that have gone many other directions to allow for me to go places where maybe I don't really belong, so to speak. Yeah. And so and so you did all those things. You, <laughs> you went to Bradley. Mm-hmm. You were cum sum laude in music. So I was a music business major. Music business. And yeah. growing up... Uh, I knew I was performing, I wanted to produce, and New York had to be on the agenda. So by the time I was graduating from high school, I had to decide, am I going to go to New York right away, or do I want to do the music business thing too? And at Mm -hmm. the time, I was performing with Opera Illinois and signing contracts, and I thought, I'd like to know what I'm signing. I want to understand this more. So Bradley had a new music business program, and lo and behold, once I was going there and still performing, um, who would one day become my husband, I met his final and yeah. fifth year. Um, fifth year meaning <laughs> I come from a background of if it doesn't exist, you make it exist. And when he entered Bradley, they didn't have a music business program. So he made his own, did oh. music and business, double major. And I'm glad he did because he wouldn't have been there. We wouldn't have met. But um, at Bradley, we met. And then I completed you know internships that I got in kind of unorthodox ways where I just knock on a door and then the next day I was hired kind of thing. (laughs) Um, But then working at New York City Opera for an internship, when I came back from New York City Opera 
to go back and graduate. My now husband, then boyfriend, went to New York and he went to NYU to go get his master's in music business. Okay. So we kind of were laying the, the, the groundwork for a long distance relationship that we didn't realize we would also have to have 10 years later into mm-hmm. a marriage. We made an emergency move. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to get to that in a minute because sure. that's a whole nother that's story. Whole other thing. I know. So you spent 10 years in New York. So a, li- a little over, a little probably about over. 12 when you add the internship and yeah. kind of our exit. Yeah. So tell us all about that because that was just what a dream, dream come true for you. It was yeah. definitely checking one of those other boxes for me. Um, when I went out there, when I had the internship, even that, I wasn't necessarily supposed to get it because you had to live in New York and do the interview in person. But when they called me and told me I was up for the running, I asked if I could do the interview over the phone. So there we were doing it remotely. But then I had to find a place to live (laughs) pretty soon after. And my Mm -hmm. mom, who was kind of always my partner in crime or not crime, I didn't really get in a lot of trouble. I wasn't very (laughs) rebellious. But whenever I would kind of pivot and find neat rogue things to do, she was kind of there along with me to help me find interesting gigs. And um, this was one of those times where we had to get crafty and find, well, where am I going to live? So then I ended up subletting um, an apartment that was a block from Times Square, which years later, we would end up living on that same block. Um, But when I was in New York, everything was sort of, it didn't totally exist. So roles that I was applying for, you kind of had to check all these boxes. And so I went to my roots of, if it doesn't exist, you make it exist. And so the church that we were attending, I saw that they could use some administrative help. And then that kind of morphed into a new position of oh. events director. So yeah. when I absorbed that, I had, you know, two clients and then me being me having to make friends with people and just meeting people with no agenda, agenda type meetups. Later, my client list, if you will, quote unquote, became over 200 because yes. I can't keep my mouth shut. I'm this friendly <laughs> Midwestern person. And, um, by the end of my tenure in that position, I had produced a lot of events, helped create a couple of concert series, and then we had at least 2,400 events that either I was a producer on or had hand in. So producing concerts through that venue, it was a yeah. landmark church, but then also getting to incorporate another layer, which was the personal side with my husband. We had our own production company called Flat World Productions, which it's kind of a tip of the hat to the flatlands of the Midwest where we were from. Yeah. And uh, we produced Electric Cathedral, which was yet another concert series through that venue, but also sponsored other events throughout the city. And then on yeah. top of that, I was still performing. And that's a whole other thing if you want to hear about yeah, that. And, who were, and tell us about that. Because, yeah, the first time I met you, you talked about singing at Carnegie Hall for years. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? And you're like. <laughs> Well, it wasn't just me. There were a lot of us singing. Me and 200 of my closest friends, who are still my close friends. Um, No, yeah, it it was... uh, So that was another thing. I would audition for things, and one of the first hugs I got from someone who was in New York was from Kent Tridel, who he's an organist extraordinaire with the Philharmonic, and he also is a choral director extraordinaire, maestro, and he heard me in my audition, and he gave me this warm Iowa hug. That's where he's from, and... I felt very welcomed into the fold. Um, So I was a soprano member with the Oratorio Society of New York for 10 years and performed over 50 concerts with them. So from Madison Square Garden, where we'd we'd do like a flash mob or something Mm -hmm. or other events and benefits at Lincoln Center. And then over 30 were at Carnegie Hall. Yeah. And you performed with Philharmonic Mm -hmm. many times. And so those are, 
um, you know, Jennifer, those were kind of big, that's kind of a big deal. Those are kind of big things. <laughs> you remember those boxes to check? <laughs> boxes checking, going to New York. But, you know, how about Madison Square Garden? And how about, you know, Carnegie Hall? And how about, you know, to over, and you said this very easily, in over 2,000, you know, events. And it's like, okay, those are, that's a lot you know, that's just, it's, it's accumulated over time. I know, though. And I, think, I know. I think what a talent, though. I'm flattered when people say that, but I also realize we're all very elastic when people say, oh, I could never do X, Y, Z. I could never live here. I could never have this. And I think, well, we could. We're all just elastic. We grow to whatever the challenge is and we adapt and we do all kinds of things we don't think we can do. So yeah. I kind of, even though there are a lot of things I have expertise on, mm-hmm. there are areas where I purposefully will stay kind of naive to the maybe the magnitude of it mm-hmm. so that it really doesn't startle me so much yeah if that makes sense just, and yeah. then other areas where i know i don't know anything and that's where the collecting and connecting of different people and events and experiences where that comes in and i can plug and chug all those places so that the people who do know what they're talking about in certain areas yeah. then they can shine yeah so and you recorded um you know not only with that uh group but also mm-hmm. Then you ventured out and you did what you did some rap and rock and what what <laughs> I didn't where? rap. I was invited <laughs> to, to sing. So like I said, I'm kind of an opera ish singer. Yes, so a um, soprano. I eventually grew into looking like an adult and it making sense that I sound how I sound. <laughs> so that made sense. But the kinds of things I like are all over the place. So, yeah. you know, we would be involved in different organizations at um different famed nightclubs one was webster hall and we would do a quarterly art soiree where it would be several different organizations or artists and we would all kind of put in what we're good at and do it all together in an organized way so it was organized chaos in the best level and that's where my type a creativity really (laughs) shines um but i would from these uh from these no agenda agenda meetups i would have sometimes things would happen years later and they'll say i remember you sing opera i have a friend he's this rapper and his name's Lecrae and I hadn't heard of him, but other people had. Again, it's kind of good to be a little naive, not knowing what you're getting into. So we recorded this. And so I was on at least, you know, one of the songs on it. And then he later won a Grammy for that. And it was just sort of, you kind of get swept up in, well, that's a really neat thing to have done, you know, but you see the behind the scenes and you realize kind of the work of it. And I am grateful, but I try not to get too swept up in all of it because there's sort of the next thing and yeah, keeping your eyes more. open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us about that, uh, your next season then after, after New York, tell us well, what brought you back after New York, there really wasn't a transition. Um, so we were living in New York. We lived about uh, an Avenue West of Times Square on the same street where I had lived when I had my internship, just a different building. And we were visiting family for the holidays and nothing out of the norm. We were visiting my sister, staying with her family, her four kids, her two dogs, her cat, our dog, (laughs) our two kids and us. And we noticed just sudden debilitating um, symptoms that occurred with our oldest daughter who she wasn't quite three yet. She was about two, over two and a half at this point. And we had our youngest who was six months old. Yeah, baby. And we knew that it was something neurological. And being the holidays, we called back to the pediatrician and they said, well, with trying to find a neurologist, it's going to be at least a month before you're seen. We still made an appointment, knowing that's kind of slow for when we're thinking about brains. Yeah. Um, but we knew that Children's Hospital of Illinois was nearby. And, yeah. 
you know, it's all these full circle things, you know, near the end of the year and throughout the year, we like to give to organizations and things that are, you know, right. are doing wonderful things. Mm-hmm. And that was one of them over the years that we had, you know, donated. And we didn't realize that months later, we would have to utilize those services. Mm-hmm. But when we got to the door of the ER, it was night and day the difference of just the wait time, because I think my husband annoyed in the nicest way possible, meaning we were so used to waiting for things in New York. And when we were seen almost instantly before he could even get the stroller out of the rental car, you know, we realized this is a different animal. And so Mm -hmm. they had doctors and kind of a dream team already assembled, listening to things that we had asked about New York that maybe just were getting validated here. And they were talking about Easter seals and these therapies and we can line this up and that up. And that all sounded great for tackling kind of this first phase except for we didn't live here we were on vacation (laughs) and so my sister had called and she said well you know the house next door to us is for sale well okay (laughs) so by the end of that vacation we went back to new york and we packed up 80 some odd boxes from our 500 square foot apartment and left a cot where my husband stayed on a cot for a year and a half in our apartment in new york and he'd stay there pretty much the whole month and then come to illinois for about three days or a weekend and Mm -hmm. so during the week it was you know me and the two kids we'd go to therapies about four times a week and I would just absorb all of the therapies and soak it up like a sponge and then when he would come that one time a month I took that responsibility seriously and I just wrung myself out trying to get that information to him so that he wasn't left in the dark in the dark right you know because we had gone from being all in that apartment together too we're a thousand miles apart right you know and then it's the reverse with our family who are now helping us where we were a thousand miles apart from family and now we share a driveway 60 steps door to door yeah and they're Mm -hmm. right there to help you and there's there's ups and downs with all of that Mm -hmm. and you're a single married mom for a lot of that time dealing with um it's a crisis in the beginning because Mm -hmm. you you didn't know what all of this was and and the other thing that I think is so difficult um, that you overcame was that this was just this immediate onset of symptoms. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, we got to do something now. Mm-hmm. And so my whole life is changing. So no longer soprano and, <laughs> you know, all of these things that you were doing. And you were, you were full-time mom because that's where you needed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good on you. Um, and then eventually... Uh, your husband didn't move here, mm-hmm. got your family yes. uh, back together. And how old um, are your girls now? So our oldest, Larkin, she's nine. She's and then nine. our youngest, Willa, she's going to be seven yeah. this Friday. Yeah, great names. Mm-hmm. How wonderful. And so that then um, has led you into another season. Yeah. So tell us that. Tell us about uh, Pretendly. Pretendly. Mm-hmm. So... It's a made-up word, but in our family, once you've said it, it's not made up anymore. And pretendly is just, if I start from the beginning, it's a word that our youngest used to say to us because she kind of had a phase where she adverbified everything. She'd put L-Y <laughs> on the end of all of her words, and she would say, will you play pretendly with me? And we just didn't correct her. Shame on us, but it was too cute to correct, so we yeah. didn't. And, you know, in these years of having the therapies and our youngest being, you know, such a good little sister by also doing all of the little sisterly things but also being at these therapies and absorbing things too um they kind of are a little team the two sisters and Mm -hmm. you know our youngest is neurotypically developing while our oldest is autistic and neurodivergent 
And they, for years, have always liked art. And Easter Seals has always been super inclusive, not only of our oldest daughter, but also the siblings, which so no one has ever felt other Mm -hmm. in our family there and very much a part of things. So they would ask if they want to do art for a campaign or do this pottery. And when they saw it be online, they thought, oh, more people see it. Because before, we couldn't nail things down in our house fast enough because the girls would just want to give art to people or things around the house that they had made. And I had to learn to let go of that, not get too sentimental about some of these things and go in mommy motive. I want to keep all of it. But I realized they really want to give people things. So always knowing that and them having this idea of they wanted to maybe do an online shop of their art or something, Mm -hmm. not knowing what that would become years later. But we've always lived in these yes paths and no paths and the yes path of moving here in an instant and certain no paths and things that come in the way. And they kind of hit a major no, a major hurt and exclusion that they both felt. And I always tell them, when you feel a loss, try to glean the gains. Mm -hmm. And we were trying to glean the gains by creating this online shop. And so we went into full force mode. And Mm -hmm. they weren't bouncing back at first, but they got their spark back when we got a website and an LLC. And so a year and a half later, now they actually are in... Um, Picket Fence Foundation and their yes. gift shop and getting to do vendor fair things. And we're not overworking them. Don't worry, everyone. <laughs> we're not overworking them. They're overworking mommy. And that's the best <laughs> thing possible. But I mean, they have their little business card and to see them have ownership of something. And what it is, um, really, it's just art that they've had over the years and that they create now still. And we just design it onto different things. So clothing and mm-hmm. gifts and accessories, things made to wear or share. Yeah. And their whole vision is to spread the friendly with pretendly. With pretend. Yeah. And they're wonderful pieces. I just, I love my t-shirt. Thank and, you. And, uh, you know, of course it's black and white, so I wear it with everything. It's Very easy. <laughs> it's easy. Um, but they, they just have wonderful pieces there and didn't know that these little girls made those and that they're sharing and... Um, and yeah, you get to be the executive mom. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a new, yeah. yeah, new venture. But, um, you and your husband still do, you have a studio in your home. You still do production. You still do, you still sing. Um, yeah, yeah I've seen you perform, yes. uh, recently here, uh, with the municipal band and you're mm-hmm. amazing and you, mm-hmm. you have your own following here, you know, <laughs> my friends, <laughs> friends and family. Yes. Which is, yeah, it's, uh, quite a group. So uh, tell us, Jennifer, um, with all these accomplishments at such a young age and this, you know, young family, um, and two uh, two careers going here, um, and you're still singing and producing, mm-hmm. and, um, and then the two little girls, and one, as you say, neurotypical, one mm-hmm. neuro- neurodivergent, mm-hmm. and so all the all the things that come along with that in terms of learning and school and therapies sure. and yep. Yeah, how do you, how do you blend all that? How do you make sense of all of it? Well, it's what you said. It's blended. So I, I don't really think of it in terms of balance all the time. It's more for me, I think of it almost a layering. And if I had to break it out into pieces, it'd be not in order of, you know, importance, but in order of chronological order it would be performer, parent, and then accidental advocate And so it's sort of these worlds of, you know, performer, if we think about the story, like I had just told Mm -hmm. you, where it's just sort of the pivot of everything. Whereas, you know, I was performing with the group at Carnegie Hall a few days before for our annual Messiah, because it was the holidays, and then 
coming home for the holidays, being a parent, a sister, a daughter, all of those things things. mixed together. Mm -hmm. And then having this emergency happen, that puts you into accidental advocate right away. So I felt like none of those other parts had ever evaporated. They just layered. And sometimes with layers, some of the layers thin, some of the layers thicken. And so Mm -hmm. I think right now some of our layers are thinning. A lot of the therapies that our oldest has done, she's tapered off quite a bit. And so I never felt like any of those other layers had completely disappeared. We just had to go yeah. go with the flow as go much as you flow. can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good on you. So tell us a little bit about um, living your purpose. You're very purpose driven and you you have purpose in all of these layers. Mm-hmm. I see that. So how do you feel like you're living your purpose and and where are you making a difference? I think purpose-wise, I'm very visual in how I think. And if you Mm -hmm. hear me talk enough, you'll hear a lot of rhyming and punning and sorry, everyone. (laughs) And thank you for being patient. But I would say I have a perforated purpose in the sense that Mm -hmm. we have all these boxes, but I think of... You know, if you can be in a box, you can also take yourself out of that box. And if you're mm-hmm. in a situation where you feel like you can't get out of the box, I try to find situations where you can kind of at least dash the lines of that box so that you can weave in and out of the lane and see what other people have to offer, see how you mm-hmm. can kind of go onto their side. And that's given me a lot of opportunities to have different points of view. Yes. And when you've kind of absorbed all of that point of view, then you know how to demystify differences, which I would say is probably where I'm probably making a difference is mm-hmm. the fact that I have this different point of view on different things. And, you know, in situations where my sister will say, well, you're being pessimistic about that when really I'm probably just being a realist. And I told yeah. you this before, I'm an opti-pesty realist where I just, <laughs> I think about all the angles and I don't get stuck in any one of them. I don't live there too long. I visit and then I move on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think purpose-wise, it's just living that, going in and out of that uh, that perforated edge collecting and connecting people mm-hmm. i think that i'm making a You're difference there um mm-hmm. i have i must be because i can see that my girls have their spark back and i know that and at least on that level it's happening mm-hmm. but when we go to different things and people want to speak with us there must be something about what we're doing that makes people want to open up so yeah. i know that there's a difference being made there too mm-hmm. you're very approachable and you're a wonderful advocate because you don't preach to people you talk about your circumstance. You talk about things you've learned from others. Sure. And um, and as I say, you're very approachable. And people want to, um, I think they want to learn from you. They want to hear about your story. And um, you, seem to have, you seem to be doing it well and with a positive attitude. And, and that can be very, very difficult with an autistic child. And um, so I think people gravitate to you and say, tell Jennifer, how are you how are you doing this? How are you doing this? And and you're very open about it. Well, thank you. And I'm I'm only open about um, I'm open because of who I am. But I also make sure that I get my kids' permission too. You know, mm-hmm. because these are things that I want to make sure they're okay with going forward with these things. And yeah, mommy, go ahead. You know, and uh, it's just I. I appreciate you saying that I'm approachable because honestly, I just don't feel like I have the right to have to skip over that perforated edge until someone's allowed me that right. Yes. And I don't, I don't push that. No. And if people come over on my side of the line, terrific. So that's really how I see yeah. that approachability piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as 
you know, the difficulties that we have, I don't feel sorry for us. I, you know, there are things that we can't control, which are, you know, where we're from and how we're formed. And I think with that, we can all relate that Mm -hmm. we all have differences. So when we kind of can grasp that, it makes it a lot easier to, you know, kind of buck the ideas of standardization and realize that we don't need to be startled by differences. We can Mm -hmm. just see them for what they are. Yeah. And that this is part of it. It's Mm -hmm. part of life. And can be embraced. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we can learn. Yes. We can learn from that, which I love too. So uh, what is next for you? I don't know what comes after (laughs) Madison Square Garden and Carnegie Hall. And I I don't know what comes after that. What do you do next? And starting this business and the website and being such an advocate. um, What's next for you? I think it's mostly working for my kids. Um, they're kind of being the boss right now in the most lovingly way, you know, <laughs> loving way possible. Um, but yeah, still performing. Um, I like performing with choral groups around here, especially mm-hmm. like at Bradley, because yeah. I get to be around students and then people who are younger than me and older than me. I've mm-hmm. always loved that with meeting new people. Recording my husband's an audio engineer on top of what he did in the music industry and all of the talents he has. So if I need to record a piece for someone, we can just send that off into (laughs) the ether and that can happen. Mm -hmm. And then what I see is the blending of what our eclectic background is with what their kind of friendly future means. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see, they would love to see it too, just the growth of where you can find pretendly and we're not looking at fast growth but far growth it would be mm-hmm. wonderful to see them in you know more gift shops and things more events and also with our production stuff if we could also create something that's collaborative or we create an event that can really shine a light on people embrace the structures of things but also spontaneity and just be fun, be fun. yeah mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot it's a yeah. lot, yeah, <laughs> but it's doable. Of, We're yeah. elastic, so yeah. it's doable. And you're good at that. But a lot of open doors and a mm-hmm. lot of talent there. Oh, thank you. Good, good, good. What encouragement do you have for others? Hmm. Well, some of the things that I said with collecting and connecting, but I'd like to share this little tidbit that I think is helpful. Um, following the water towers, I think I've talked to you about this privately. Mm -hmm. Um, And that might not mean anything to anybody, but to me it is quite literally following the water towers, which is when I was growing up, I talk about how I'm a type A creative, which seems like it should be at war with itself. And I imagine there are a lot of other people who are my age or not, who maybe are also that way and Mm -hmm. maybe don't know how to use that, where Mm -hmm. your brain is either waffles and compartmentalizing or spaghetti and everything is not scattered, but all the nerves are touching and everything's connecting and trying to make sense of that. And my mom, she was also a very organized person, but she also embraced the fun of things. And so we would do trips where she would pack everything for X number of days and we would have a plan and she had everything booked. Then other times, same thing, same blueprint. Everything would be packed. We'd have meals and different outfits for different climates. We're all prepared. That's Mm -hmm. the preparation of it. Now for the creativity, which was the spontaneity of you pull out of the driveway and you pick a direction. And you go left or right. And we'd say, go left. And we'd drive to the edge of town. And you pass that water tower. And you find the next piece of civilization, which is the next water tower. And some towns you stay at for a while. Mm-hmm. Some you skip. And I think that that's something we could all use. Is just, um, I'm using this as you know, it's a metaphor. But it's real, too. If there are mm-hmm. things that don't serve us, 
learning to filter that out and skip it. Skip it. And mm-hmm. if it's something you know that you really aren't good at, a lot of people talk about faking it till you make it. And I am so not that person because if I really don't know something, I have collected <laughs> and connected some people. I'm like, this person knows how to do it better than I, I can. Yeah. And there's that idea of, could you do it or should you do it? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes people do all the could use and they take it all on. They're staying in that town too long. They really should skip it and just do the things you should do. Mm-hmm. So um, probably that filtering of what you can carry and what you shouldn't carry. Mm-hmm. But it's okay to not know where the next water tower is. And so it's okay not to know where the next you know, opportunity might come. But when right. it comes, you should definitely stop. Because yeah. you don't know when you'll pass that town again or that water tower. So Yeah, well said. Thanks. Good. Thank you. Well, thank you for, for who you are and what you do every day. Uh, you're always an inspiration to me and just a source of, of great energy. Um, you know, we talk about people who energize you and people who drain you mm-hmm. and seeking out those people that energize you. So you're like on my speed dial. Oh, thank you. Ditto. Yeah. Jennifer, what are you doing today? (laughs) Yeah. But so glad to have you. Um, Selfishly, I'm, you know, I'm (laughs) glad you're back in central Illinois. I know you still go back to New York and you, uh, you have different um, obligations there too, which is wonderful, but we're glad to have you here. You're such an asset to our community, Um, such an advocate uh, for autistic children Mm -hmm. and their lives and, um, and you give grace to other parents to, who are going through this this too. And here's what you can do, and here's how we can uh, lean on each other. And so thank you for that. Thank you for all you do. Oh, thank you, Catherine. Thanks to our listeners. Thanks for joining us today. Don't miss a podcast. You can find us on rockstarmillennials.com, Apple Podcast, or iTunes. And until next time, talk soon. share your thoughts about this episode, subscribe to future podcasts, submit a discussion topic, or shine a light on a rock star millennial in your world, contact Katherine Spitznagel at rockstarmillennials.com and click on contact us. Contact us.